Today's gospel, they try to kill Jesus. They try to throw him over the cliff. And what did he do? What did he do to deserve that? It's interesting. He must have touched on a note or a chord which really um, caused the people to react. He speaks about how the Lord has found trouble finding faith in Israel, a true belief in Israel. And so the Lord has often gone to those outside of Israel. He often says, you know, he says here that no prophet is accepted in his own country. But it, these sayings, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why all of a sudden they would want to kill him because of that. And it's funny, I don't know if it's supposed to make sense because it is absurd. It's absurd that they wanted to kill him. It has something to do with pride. He had touched something that they're very proud of. He had touched something that was outside of their ideas, outside of their way of thinking. It's interesting. I want to spend most of this homily on the second reading, but this gospel I'll use as an introduction because it hits a note, I think, that we're living of today. In my life, I can't think of a time where people have been more polarized and reactionary, where it seems like people in the quote-unquote first-world countries are so reactionary that it seems like they're ready for rioting, ready for um, even violence. They want to shut down anyone that says anything different. And there's no, or less and less, honest dialogue, or even good, healthy, heated debate. It's good to have debates in a country. It's good to have debate, a heated debate at that, because at least when we're debating, we're not hitting each other. When we're debating, we're talking it out like grown individuals. But here, we find a similar thing in this gospel where the people are touched or prodded on something that goes against what they think or what they feel, and they immediately react with wanting to throw him over a cliff. And it seems not too distant from what we're starting to live of now in the last four years, five years, with this sense of tribalism that has come about in this country and pretty much all the first world countries. And that second reading gives us a response. It gives us the key. It's very rare, actually, that we comment on the second reading the second reading was the first scripture passage that ever really touched me in my life. And I'm sure it's true for many of you. It was in a movie called The Mission when Robert De Niro reads this passage. 
So it took Robert De Niro for me to listen to the gospel, right? Go figure. Go figure. But nevertheless, it did. It really touched me quite profoundly. And so that opened my heart to hear this passage from 1 Corinthians. And it's that passage about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is simply, if we're going to define it, to will the good for the other. To will the good for the other. And if it is to will the good for the other, it's something that we learn often, even when we're little. I remember as a little child, my relationship with my mom and my relationship with my dad growing up really taught me to love another, to will the good for them, to be selfless. And here, he starts out by saying, if I have all the eloquence of men and of angels, but speak without love, I am simply a gong booming or a cymbal clanging. And how true that is. For love is that thing that comes into our hearts and makes everything worth it, have value. When I begin to see that you are worth it, you are worth living for and worth giving my life to, everything in my life starts to have spice. Aristotle has this um, nice quote that doing things with a friend makes things enjoyable. And it's true. Going to a movie alone, mm, not nearly as nice. But going with someone that I love brings joy. Love gives meaning to all that we do. If I have the gift of prophecies, understanding all mysteries in the world, all the problems of the world, I have all the responses to every political problem going on today. But I have not love. It is worth nothing. Love, it is always patient. Why? Because I want the good for you. So I'm patient to find what is good for you. It is kind because, again, I put you first, or I will that you might have the good. You might have what is good for you. It is never rude or selfish. It's interesting because love, even when it's rude, is not rude. Let's say that again. Even when love is rude, is not rude. That's what's amazing about love. Sometimes because I love, I have to say things. Which leads me into the next line. Love no, takes no pleasure in other people's sins, but delights in the truth. Funny thing about it is if I will the good for you, I don't will whatever good for you, as if it's totally relative. Whatever you want, it's okay. That's not love. 
to drink yourself into a ditch? To find you losing your life and wasting your life away? That's not love. Love does not allow us to allow my brother to throw away his life. Love holds on to what is true. Because in the truth, I find what is truly good for you. It takes no pleasure in other people's sins. It's very common that we take pleasure in other people's sins. We have whole businesses made off of that. Nearly three-fourths of media is about gossip, which is all about other people's sins. Quite a bit amount of money is made off of taking pleasure in other people's sins. And if I love and I will the good for you, how could I possibly take pleasure in what is evil? Take pleasure in what is evil. Love takes no pleasure in it. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, and to hope. To endure whatever comes. Love hopes all things, endures all things. It is always ready to forgive. It is always ready to trust again when you fall, because I want what is good for you. When you fall, I will trust again, and I will trust again, and I will trust again, and I will trust again, because love, I love, because I will the good for you. When you fall again and again and again, I will will the good for you every time. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, and to hope. And then he enters in this beautiful passage where he says, Love does not come to an end. All the things of this world, the gifts of prophecies, gifts of languages, it will not continue forever. And knowledge for this too, the time will come when it will fail when what you understand will fail. But love will always remain. And then there's this part that I wanted to share with you. For our knowledge is imperfect, our prophecy is imperfect, but once perfection comes, all imperfect things disappear. When I was a child, I always remember Robert De Niro saying this, when I was a child, I used to talk like a child, think like a child, argue like a child, But now I am a man, and all childish ways are put behind me. It is not a child that knows how to love. It is an adult that knows how to love. And a child learns how to love from his adults. It is the fact that many adults are still children. They have not put away the childish things, their selfishness, their greed, They play with money and buildings and power instead of playing in a sandbox. But if I learn how to love, I put away all childish things and I will the good for you. If I will the good for you, I have a reason to mature, to grow up, and to leave behind all these childish things. For love is worth it. Love is patient and love is kind. 
And so let us ask that grace that through this charity, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we might come to understand what is love and put behind all childish things, all the things that hold us down, all of our selfishness. And we might learn to truly desire the good for all, beginning with desiring the good for the one, the one who is right in front of me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.